Welcome to You Might Relate, a podcast where we take relationships and mental health to the next level. I am Stacy Heaps, a licensed clinical social worker, and I have been practicing therapy for the last 15 years. There are counseling concepts and stories that I am excited to share. When we know better, we do better. Together, let's get to a place of radical acceptance of where we are while improving relationships and tackling life's transitions, one therapy concept and one story at a time. So let's get started to see if you relate. Hey, welcome to You Might Relate. Today we're talking to Meredith Snar. She is my sister-in-law. She married my brother. And so we've known each other for at least 21 or two years now. And so she is going to introduce herself because she is, she gets to say that she's an Ironman and that is so cool. And so Mary, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself now and then what made you decide to train for the Ironman? Sure. So yes, my loving sister-in-law, Stace, love you very much. So I'm a mom of three. I have a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, and an 11-year-old. Been married for almost 20 years. I am an office manager for a construction company. Stace knows that I love true crime. I always make <laughs> her watch that when she comes over. Then maybe she doesn't want to, but... And then, gosh, is that about it about me? You're a mountain biker, and you volunteer for the mountain bike team. And you go to Lake Powell every year. You love to travel. Oh my gosh, there's so many things about you that we could talk about. So back in 2017, I guess this is the start of my Ironman journey. journey. To go further back, I got married young. I had kids young. I was kind of at a point in my life where I had been those things for so long. They're a mom to these children that needed to be raised, trying to work on the side trying to keep my marriage going and together. I think sometimes in that part of our lives, people tend to lose themselves a little. You know, I just didn't really know what was in store for me. I felt a little lost. So a guy in my neighborhood asked me if I wanted to run a Ragnar, which I, if everybody doesn't know, it's a relay team. And I said, sure, even though I'd never ran before. And I just thought, well, maybe this is something that I can commit to outside of the house that will just maybe open up a hobby for me. So I go to the gym, you know, he said, well, it's two months away. We'll give you the easiest sections or whatever. So I said, sure. And I thought to myself, I'm really going to commit to this and I'm going to work at it. And so that my team's not disappointed in me, I'm just going to do it. And so I went to the gym the next day and got on the treadmill and I literally, I could not run not even a fourth of a mile without having to stop. And it was hard to do that. You know, I felt frustrated. I thought, man, how am I ever going to do this? But he said, you know, just keep going, just keep trying. And I think what was really impressive to me is to watch how our bodies adapt to these tough things. Because I'm going there and not being able to run even a fourth of a mile and feeling defeated, feeling like, okay, this is a lot harder. This is a lot more than I thought it was that I took on. But I'm going to keep rolling. So, you know, every week I just kept on going. And it was amazing to me see the improvement every week. Slow, but surely committing to that and putting in the work. So like by the end of the first week, I think I could run like a half a mile. And then the next week it was almost a mile. And then, you know, just slowly progressed. And then all of a sudden Ragnar came and I was able to run all my segments. Most of them, I think, without stopping and just was really proud of myself. And I was also, you know, just really impressed with my body. I'm like, gosh, that's so cool that my body went from here to here just by putting in that work and that commitment. Anyway, that kind of started a spiral me because I got that endorphins, I got that feeling of accomplishment where I I thought, gosh, I kind of found myself a little. This is something I can do out of the house on my own. I can something that I can feel proud of. So, you know, it kind of progressed from there. I started running more and more. I started doing half marathons. And then my uncle called one day and he said, Hey, I have these road bikes, he works for a biking company. And if you and Doug want them, you know, they're super cheap. And 
I was like, sure. And so then I started bike road biking and really liked that a lot. Well, then my uncle, that same uncle one time, he was like, hey, you should, my best friend is a swim coach. You should train for triathlons. He'll train you to swim. Wait, it's so crazy to me, Mary, that you go from no running to Ragnar. And I swear it was more than just a couple half marathons. Didn't you have a ton? I've done that. I've done quite a few. I think I've done, is it 21? <laughs> I've done quite a few. 21. Oh, I mean, it's, it's quite a few. I've done several Ragnars. So how do you go from running to I'm going to bike and then I'm going to swim? What would give your uncle the impression that you would want to learn how to swim or bike? I don't know. I think I was just talking to him because he knew that I was a runner. And then he noticed, you know, how they have the certain biking or the sports apps that you can follow people and see their progress. I think that he noticed that I was getting pretty good on the bike. And it was just because I love to do it. That was my time. I put my earbuds in, put on a true crime podcast layers, and I would just ride my bike. The same with running, too. I'd do the same thing. That was my time. It was nobody else's time. It was mine. Of course, when I got home, I felt awesome, accomplished. You never really want to go sometimes, but then you know, as a runner, too, that when you get back, you never regret it. Anyway, so he was just saying, he's like, yeah, you're getting good on the bike, and and we saw him try it. And it was just like this, this kind of fateful thing, I think. Maybe I even joked about it. Maybe he said, hey, all I need to do is swim. Or well, maybe he brought it up. I can't remember. But it merged into this conversation that he had. His best friend was a swim coach and a triathlete. And he said, reach out to him. Because I'm like, I do not know how to swim at all. And he's like, well, reach out to Mark, which I'll give him a shout out later. And ask him, you know, to meet you at the pool. He'll see where you're at. And I had no intentions. Really? No. You're like, okay. I'm the type of person that I need to do stuff for myself. I don't want really, I refuse to ask for help. Not a great trait. But some people have it. And we don't like to ask for help. We like to figure it out ourselves. Yeah. So he mentioned that I just started watching YouTube videos. And I'm like, I'll teach myself how to swim. Okay. And so I tried that, you know, and I just was like, I am not getting any better because swimming is so hard. It is yeah, so hard. hard. There's a have... lot of technique to it. Yes. And the tiniest techniques, the tiniest little adjustment swimming can mean a lot. Anyway, so I went to the gym. I was trying to teach myself how to swim. Realized I was getting nowhere that I had to ask for help if I wanted to do a triathlon without drowning. So I swallowed my pride. And in fact, I see that Mark reached out to me. I think that my uncle ended up giving him my information, even though I had his information. And Mark reached out to me and he was like, hey, Steve told me about you. You want to meet up? I can teach you how to swim. And I don't think I responded for a little bit, but then finally I did. And I said, after I was realizing quickly that I couldn't teach myself from watching YouTube. Anyway, so I reached out and I said, yeah, I, we can meet up. I'm not sure if I'm going to pursue this, but we can meet up. And I remember being so nervous and so embarrassed. It was really out of my comfort. I had such bad anxiety going to that first meeting with him. We met at a Boston up in the whole Sandy area. I remember being so embarrassed. I was staying there and he goes, he was so nice. And he's like, well, let's see what you can do. <laughs> so he's like, just swim a 50. Now, is or this swim. what he does for a living? Is this what Mark does is train people? Or why is he so willing to do this? Well, first of all, he's just a great person overall. Nicest yes. person you'll ever meet. I think that his main goal in life is to help people. He does have a job, a nine to five, but I love he, that. His main goal is to help people. He does have a job. So like he mainly helps people and then he has a job on the side. <laughs> yeah, he's done a nine to five and then he does triathlete training on the side. Okay. Okay. Cool. So I actually just had a conversation with him, not last week, but the week before, because he was in Oregon coaching some athletes at doing the 70.3 in Oregon. And he was just trying to persuade me to do that next year. Oh, okay. But anyway, so he said, 
swim a 50 and let's see how it goes. And I could barely swim a 50 at this point. So I was kind of nervous. I was just like, Man. And a 50 is that, remind, I should know this. Is it one time there, once across the pool and one that? Is that a 50? Yeah. yeah so it's 25 for one and then 50 for the second, for the back. Okay. And so I got done that I knew that it did not look good and terrible, but he just said, oh, we have a lot of work to do, but he's like, you have so much potential. And he was so nice that he just was like, listen, you can master this and do triathlon. I, there's not one part of me that thinks that you can't do this. Obviously, you know, you'll have to put some work in and whatnot, but you can do it easy. I know you can. And so he taught me how to do, I guess they call it the front crawl, just, you know, standard stroke swimming that they use in triathlon. And so he taught me how to do it, form, things like that, and then would give me workouts and I'd do it. And then he'd touch base, meaning he'd actually come and meet me at the gym, swimming pool, and watch video show me on videos, look at your hand, look at your legs. You know, your legs are too far apart. You got to keep them together. Your hand isn't scooping the water. You're not getting anywhere without. And he just, he knew everything and knew how to tweak everything. And so it was a process of him tweaking, me doing, him coming back him tweaking again, me doing. I never got to be a wonderful swimmer, but I got to the point, I just still remember the day that I went to the pool and swam nonstop for an hour and a half. When I started swimming at this point, I was training for the 70 point which is a half iron. Okay. So to get to the point where I was swimming an hour and a half, that's the process of a year and over a year. Wow. The process of getting to where I could go do the 70 was, oh, five months. Okay. That was about the training for the 70.3. I still remember going to the full when I was training for the full Ironman, being in awe. But it does take that work and that dedication. It just doesn't happen. You right. Know, you can't expect that to happen. He, started, he was actually my whole triathlon coach. He coached me on everything, did all my workouts and everything. So I did the 70.3 in Monterey, Mexico. And that was so fun. It was really fun. The training wasn't too bad. The place was amazing. Yeah, what made you choose Monterey? So Monterey, Mexico. So when I told my coach, when I very first met him, I thought, I want to do triathlon, but, you know, the swimming is hard. And he's like, I have the perfect first one for you, Monterey, Mexico. And he's like, I'll show you pictures. And he pulls up this picture and it's, it's a man-made river down this beautiful park. And it literally goes up to your chest. Okay. So it's great for new swimmers that don't have confidence, that don't want to just go into an ocean with waves right off the bat. Yeah. This is a wavelength, crystal clear, clean river, man-made river. So at any point, if you were uncomfortable or if you got tired, you could just stand up. Now you couldn't move forward. You can't step forward or else you could face a penalty or disqualification. But you can stand up and not move. And then when you're ready to continue this, it's not like you could, you could stand up and just start walking. I didn't know that. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. And there's all sorts of rules and things like that. And as, as far as water temperature and things like that, the fact in Monterey, Mexico, I was really disappointed because the water was too warm to wear a wetsuit. And that wetsuit is like a security blanket. It um, keeps you buoyant. Yeah. yeah. Like a weighted blanket where it just is something on there to keep you feeling secure right so I had to do that swim in my tricycle not too happy about that and the swim did not go well but then my bike was awesome and my run was really good I had a blast but it was so hard and after I got done with that I thought there's no way I could ever do a hold never that really after fun. that you were kind of just done that I was good. done it was so fun it was good I had a really good experience, but I just, I remember thinking after I got done because it took me six hours and 10 minutes or something like that. So half Ironman, 1.2 mile swim, and then you do a 56 mile bike ride and then you do a half marathon consecutive together. 
anyway, I just thought after I was like, I can't even imagine what it would be like doing double that. Right. You know, I just thought it was one of those unreachable goals. So that was in April of 2017. And by December of 2017, I had signed up for the Ironman Italy. Wait, so what went through your mind? So I don't know. I think I thought that Monterey was training for your full. But at that point, you weren't even planning on doing your full. No, it wasn't on my radar. Oh, okay. Wasn't So what made you change your mind? How come you didn't just go home and eat Doritos after that? You just went home and you kept training, it sounds like. Yeah, I just kept training. I thought I'd gone this far and I did let it go a little bit after that. I think after something big like that, kind of pull back a little bit just to give your body some rest and whatnot I was enjoying the benefits of all that training as far as the running capabilities fitness of that and then for some reason because I had some negative feedback when I told people I was doing the 70. Oh you did? What was the negative feedback? Just I can tell in their eyes no one said anything like really mean but some people did say negative things. Most everybody's super positive. And they may not be thinking positive things or like, yeah, good luck with that type of thing. But some people, you can see it in their eyes and the and what they say, their reaction. And sometimes what they say, it's like, it gives you that motivation to prove them wrong. To not only prove yourself, but then prove people that, don't have any faith in what you do wrong. It's not a good feeling when you know that somebody is doubting your capability in life. So I use that kind of as a trigger. And then it was the same thing with the Ironman. I told myself I wasn't going to after I had done that 70 points. I just thought, there's no way. But just like giving birth, you forget. <laughs> yeah, three times. <laughs> yeah, you forget how it is. And that's how it was. I just, I slowly started to forget. And I already come that far. I asked my coach, I said, do you think I could do a full? And can you help me train for a full? And he's like, absolutely. So I researched and researched around and found Cherbia Italy was my choice of Ironman venue. I was working for the airlines. So I could really have my free pick. Some people don't have that option. Right. <laughs> yeah. that because it's Italy. But since I was working for an airline, I could really choose anywhere in the world that I wanted to go to do these because of my ability to fly for very cheaply. So that was a luxury that I'm very grateful for to be able to look at every single official Ironman course in the world. And why and did you pick Italy? Why did you pick that one in particular? I picked it because I thought, and it was pretty mild. Okay. <laughs> Some of these Ironmans that you look at, and they always post the elevation on the bike, the elevation on the run, the courses and stuff like that. Plus, it's Italy. What could go wrong? Plus, they have good pasta, right? And bread. <laughs> yeah. And it was beautiful. And beautiful. Like, I saw pictures of the venue, and I thought, man, what a better place. Because probably not going to do this again. So. Why not pick a great place to do it? So what was the time commitment for you to be away from your family and even your job, really? Like, well, I mean, it was your time, but like, what's the time commitment to train for a half Ironman? Well, it is basically double. It's very strategic in how you train. And that's why I'm so grateful for Mark, because all of a sudden it started to make sense to me about how my training was coming together. But I, there were really dark days. I was working part-time and then my kids were still fairly, well, they were older, but not super old. And anyway, there was just some dark days where I, so I got my plan every Sunday night from my coach through email. <laughs> I would not look at it because the Sunday was my only day off of training. I just was like, I am not looking at it because Sunday is my day off. And I don't want to have that on my mind on Sunday when I'm trying to rest and relax. So Monday morning, I'd open it up and review it for the week. And it would only be for the week. And once you get to be two or so months away from the higher man, your schedule does get very heavy with your training. 
So there were days when I would open it up and I would just cry and I text Doug. So my husband was also working out of town half the time. He was in North Dakota. Doug is her husband. So he was working in North Dakota most of the time. So I would text him in the mornings and I would be like, I can't do it. We're not going. I, I'm giving up officially. I'm just staying in bed. And he was always so great. He just texts back and say, okay, but just try to go to the gym. After, you know, some moments, I would pull myself together and I'd get to the gym, do my swim. And that, that just would break the ice to be like, okay, I can't do this. And then I could progress through the week. But it was not easy at all. And up until even a week before I think I was supposed to leave, I, there were times where I said I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to do it. There are dark parts, too. When you said there's some really dark days, the dark days just that this is too hard. And so the darkness was just it would be giving up or is the darkness worse than that? Giving up. Yeah, that's just all it was. I, well, I think it's just the accumulation of what I kind of talked about, the guilt. Yeah. And then exhaustion. And then just facing week by week, wondering how it's going to get through. And then I started to lose my love of these sports that I'd grown to love. I started to really dislike them. And I didn't like that. Yeah, I started to hate bike riding. I used to love it. I mean, that's why I got into it. And then all of a sudden, I was just like, I can't look at my bike and hate it. And putting on my running shoes brought dread. I started to hate these sports that I have loved for so long just because it was becoming a mandatory thing. You know, I think we tend to hate things that we're forced to do. (laughs) Yeah, and you were kind of self-enforcing yourself to do it. I mean, I chose to do this, but at the same time, I had to do it because if I wanted to succeed, I had to do it. So yeah, it was a feeling of being forced to take on these massive weekly trainings. And I remember one bike ride I went on and it was, I mean, it was deep into my training, but it was such a great day that it kind of brought happiness back. And I remember thinking to myself, I really needed this day because everything was just went perfect. It was one of those days where I felt good. The scenery was beautiful. I remember I rode all the way out to Goshen and back. And it was just silent and beautiful. And I was all alone. I remember when I got back, I felt some joy again. And and then, of course, after the race, the the joy comes back. It comes back. (laughs) It came back like an old friend. Okay, so just an overall overwhelmingness and guilt. And it's hard. And it would be easier not to do it. That was the darkness that you're describing. Yeah, it was, it just got to a point where I just felt like I could not do one more day. Yeah. But then, you know, at the same time with the guilt with the kids, but then the guilt of giving up or the shame of giving up, that played a big part in it too, now that I'm thinking about it. Because everybody knew that I was- Your training for it. Yeah. So people were full aware and would ask me or text me, you know, and the fact that I was having these thoughts of giving up, I can't disappoint people, which it wouldn't have disappointed anybody but myself. Your way of thinking at that moment where you put that much work in is that I'm disappointing not only myself, but I'm an embarrassed. Yeah, a quitter and those naysayers were right all along. And I need to make it clear that I'm not a professional athlete in any way. I from the beginning, I started from scratch, you know, third, in my 30s, was n- knowledge of nothing. Yeah. You know, I had to learn all this and kind of grow to understand it. And that just leads to another thing is that really anything is possible if we, if we make the effort. It's just kind of like in anything in your life. If you make an effort at your job, most likely you get rewarded by whether it's learning new things and getting a better job or getting a promotion or, you know, other things in life with relationships. If you make effort in relationships, they're likely not going to fail. They're going to improve. It's just the same thing. 
I am just an average Joe. I really am. I'm not spared. I'm not spectacular in any one of those sports at all. I just accepted the commitment and was able to do something very hard by putting the time and effort into it. Because if you do that, like I say, it's highly likely that you will fail. How long were you swimming at that point? I think I was swimming three to four times a week, doing about 2,500 to 3,500 yards. Wow. A full Ironman is 2.4 miles which I believe is 4,500 yards. So on your swim day, how long does that take you to swim that long? I was trying to look back at my training before we had a conversation. I'd probably be at the pool for an hour and a half or so each time, just because there's a lot of involved with that swim. It just wasn't going to the pool and just swimming that long for that many yards. It's doing a warm-up and then you're doing sprints, and then you're doing paddles, and then you're doing arms only, and then you're doing kicks only. Oh, so it's taking Because yeah. you have to do those. You have to train in a certain way to be able to swim for that long. You can't just go and put practice in of swimming back and forth forever. It doesn't really work that way. You have to do certain drills to help your body and your lungs be able to sustain that long of a swim. So it's a part of the perspective. So when I went to Italy and swam the 2.4, I was in the water for an hour. But then on top of that, you know, so you're not only swimming for eight to nine hours a week, but then you're running. So I think I would do three runs a week and one was a brick, which means you do it directly after a bike ride and then speed workout and then a long run. It's really fascinating how it comes all together because you do all these workouts in the middle or from Monday to Thursday. And then Friday, you wake up and you do a really long bike ride. So Fridays, I would have my long bike ride days, which would be like 80 miles or something like that. And that takes a long time. It takes, you know, five or six hours to do that. And then the next morning, you wake up and you do a 15 mile run. And then that night, you fit in a 3,500 yards to swim. But if you think about it, putting that all together is almost the equivalent of doing that Ironman distance in less than 24 hour period. Right. So it's just really prepping your body. Yeah. So it's allowing your body to feel that strenuous within a 24 hour period. And, you know, it's really true what they say is that because training was the hard part, race day actually wasn't too much. Oh, wow. It really wasn't. It wasn't too bad. Of course it was hard. But training is way harder than race day. Right. That was my biggest worry in Italy. When I arrived there, it consumed me that I was here and I wasn't going to be able to finish. Oh, wow. That was the biggest part of me. I, I wasn't nervous to race. I was nervous about not finishing. Oh, you're there. You're really worried, concerned that you're not going to finish the race. Tell us a little bit about that. Before I left, my coach knew that I was freaking out about my tires. Something was wrong. They didn't know what it was. My rim tape kept on moving over, resulting in a spoke causing a flat. Because even after that, when I would keep on getting it fixed, and then I remember going out to ride the next week after the mechanical at the Brineman, and having another flat and oh. just freaking out about it. My coach knew that I was really stressed about it and I couldn't afford to just go out and buy new $1,500 rims. And then I have this really sweet friend, Claire, who's really good friends with Mark. And Claire is an awesome swimmer. She would go to Pine View as one swim with me and we would do biking classes together. She's an Ironman herself and she's amazing and beautiful. And she offered her wheels to me. Wow. To borrow for Italy. So that would, would take a stress off of me because she had been riding on these wheels for a little bit, knew that they were perfectly good, that they weren't going to cause me any problems. And she just offered, she called and said, hey, Mark's saying that you've been stressed about your wheels. 
you can just buy wine. Oh my and... gosh, the metaphor for that is so good. <laughs> just buy all my bills for a little bit and then get them through. Get, take these, get through what you've trained so hard to do. So that was a big thing, but any little thing can go wrong. And even the race morning, I was freaking out because, so you can't bring little CO2 cartridges on the plane. They're the things that have air in them. So if you get a flat, yeah, you change it. And then that taxes your pump. You can't bring them on the plane. So I knew I was going to have to buy one in Italy. So the night before, you have to check in your bike. And for some reason, I put those, or I had not put those CO2s in my bike. And you can't get to it. I think you had a few minutes in the morning, but then they just locked it. And for some reason, I had forgotten to put those CO2s in my bike. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? You're not supposed to accept any sort of outside help in Ironman. Oh, it's an individual sport. You're not supposed to draft off people. Ireland is a completely, you're on your own sport. It's not like the Tour de France where it's a team sport. It's not like football or baseball where it's a team sport, a relay where it's a team. You're just on your own. They can't do drafting. You get put into a penalty box. It's a solo sport. You're, you can't listen to anything. You can't listen to music. You can't, none of that. That's also the mental part of it too. You have to face this on your own and you can't have any distractions. It's you, your mind, and whatever sport you're doing. <laughs> so I had these CO2s and I'm like, I have to get these on my bike, but I don't know how. Doug can't get to my bike. I'm in my wetsuit getting ready to swim. Oh my word. I'm just, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get these on my bike. I ended up sticking them in my wetsuit. You put them in your wetsuit while you swim? I've never heard this before. So where? On my back. So you're just swimming the two point, what is it? 2.6 miles? 0.4 miles. And then you're taking off. I remember watching you take off your wetsuit once you got out. And and so (laughs) then you had to grab those two things to put them on your bike. Yeah, well, one went missing in action. So I was nervous about that, but one was better than none. But let's back up a little bit to the day before. So get there and you have to go to like pre-race meetings and pick up all your stuff. They have to go over the rules and whatever. So while Doug was getting those CO2s, I went down to do a pre-swim. So they opened up the course for like a few hours the day before so you can go look at it swim it a little bit, whatever. So I go down there and I'm pulling on my wetsuit. So there's 2,640 athletes. Okay. And I met Italy 2018. About 2,000 ended up finishing. And there are 50 Americans. Wow. Wow. So 2,600 people that registered, only 50 were from America. So you don't hear English, but there were quite a few from Great Britain. Oh, okay. So I was able to speak with people. And then and I hear this British guy talking and we're still Facebook friends because we ended up seeing each other. It was really weird. Out of all these people, he and I kept on running into each other. It was so cool. One of those weird things. Anyway, so I went up to him because I heard him say something about, oh, those are some big jellies out there or something like that. And I was like, what did he just say? Like, I've never, no one's ever said anything in the whole Ironman Italy racing community that I've joined. I go up to him and I was just like, hey, can you zip up my wetsuit? And then I said, did you say something about jellyfish out there? And he's like, oh yeah, there's lots of jellyfish, but don't worry, they stay towards the bottom. And not only this, is that I had never swam in salt water. Oh, salt water. It's a whole different thing. So I start swimming and I just realized that the salt water is so cold, and, you know, and you get it in your mouth. There's no way around. When you swim front stroke and race, you get it in your mouth. You get water in your mouth. And I just remember, oh man, this is really different. So I just kept on swimming and the water was so clear that you could see all the way down. And so I was like, it looked like I could touch the ground. So I'd reach as far as I could to try to touch the rocks that I could see. But in actuality, it was like 10 feet down. It was so far oh, down, but you could see. I was, I'm just swimming along and all of a sudden, sure enough, this big white blob 
And I was just like, oh my God, it scared me for a second. I was just like, okay, just keep going. And then another, another, as I was getting out further into the ocean, they were just getting more and more. And I was just like, well, this is going to be interesting, but it's, and a lot of people that I talk to about that, they're like, if that would have happened to me, I would have just thrown in the towel. Like I wouldn't have done. And yeah, it was very disconcerting. <laughs> yeah. And it was surreal, but I have to do it. I'm here. I have to do it. I'm going to do it. I was set on a pair of feet. And then when I lost them, I set on another pair of feet. I was tickling, tickling those tootsies in front of me. That's, so just, that's what my coach told me to do. He's like, fine feet in front of you and just slap, just slap them. Did people slap your feet? You can feel people. But the biggest thing is that people will literally climb over you. And that was a nightmare for me because I had a friend who got pushed down at one of her Ironmans and she got pushed down to get back up. And she got really, it was in a lake, but she got really sick because she had swallowed, she was caught down and was swallowed all this lake water. Oh my gosh. So that was another fear of mine. So if I felt somebody coming up further on my legs, I would start kicking like crazy. So they knew that they, if they tried to, they'd get kicked in the face if they tried oh. to crawl over me. But anyway, so I'm focusing on feet. I was going and just about to make another turn. All of a sudden, it was just so, the water was so thick. And I realized there was teeny tiny jellyfish everywhere. I like had gone into a swarm of them. I got really nauseous just because I thought I was like, what, what is this? And then I'm like, oh my gosh, now you're swimming in this thick goo. And that was the only time that I slipped up. But then I was scared too, because I knew there was big jellyfish below me and I had to recompose myself. I had to reset my breath and and I could see the finish for Mm -hmm. the swim. And I'm just like, I've just got to get this done. And so then I just reset myself a little bit. And then continued on, but man, it was gross. Wow. You can, you can see when I get out of the water, I have like a sting on my face and then my lip. Nothing bad. I remember coming through and just feeling this massive amount of relief and pride and joy. I, you've seen the video. I just, that video makes me cry. Wait, did anything go wrong with your bike? Everything went fine with your bike? Yep, everything went to plan on the bike. It took me a long, longer than I thought just because it was really windy and hot. So my goal time was off on that. My swim time was good. My bike took a little bit longer than I thought. And then my marathon was actually not bad at all. This podcast is a lot about relationships and transitions, you know, all the changes that we have in our life. So as far as your relationships were going, your friendships, you know, your siblings, your parents, your spouse, your kids. What did this training do for that? Well, I remember sitting down with my kids. And I remember I had had a long day of training. Plus, I think I worked because at this time, I'm still trying to fit in work too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And got to get to Italy. So you got to keep working. I know. <laughs> keep working. So I had worked and then I had a long training. So anyway, I remember like I was gone most of the day and Doug was out of town. And I remember sitting down in this room and gathering my kids around and say, just bawling to them, saying, this isn't going to last forever. This is temporary. I'm just training to do something. And it's not going to be like this forever where I'm gone for these long periods of time during the day. Or and then when I'm not gone, I'm at my computer working. It's not going to be like that. I think I was just feeling overwhelming guilt. I was so distraught that they weren't getting the attention they needed, that I was being selfish. I just felt so guilty. And here I am just crying. And they're just all staring at me blankly like I was crazy. They didn't care. <laughs> I mean, kids, I feel like, are so resigned that way. You know, I was trying my best, but I wasn't, you know, of course I was still spending time with him. It wasn't like I was totally neglecting him. And when Doug was home, he had spent a lot of time with them. And so they weren't being neglected at all, but it was just me. I had to get that out for myself by apologizing to them, and reassuring them that this was not a lifetime thing. And they were just like, you're fine, mom. We're fine. Like, Okay. So it was kind of odd, you know, just one of those things where you have to 
do it for yourself. And then as it turns out, and then when all is said and done, I just hope that one day they can look back and look at the commitment that I put in while still trying to be a good mom and work and be a good wife, trying to fit all that stuff in and see the commitment that I put in and the goal that was accomplished. I'm hoping that one day they'll recognize it. I don't know if they do right now. They kind of do, but I'm hoping one day it will hit them a little harder maybe when they have families or enter into real life with the busyness that comes with that. And the marriage, well, like I said before, when I first started all this, you know, I feel like I was just in a difficult space. Anxiety, depression, such bad postpartum with all my babies except for Tate. For some reason, I didn't have postpartum with Tate. And then I felt like it sometimes, I think that most people go through really rough patches in their marriage too. And I was kind of dealing with the ups and downs of that, just trying to find me in this life that I was living. Yeah. But then while I was accomplishing this goal, I did feel like it really helped my marriage actually, because I was more clear-headed. I leaned on him for support and appreciated that he supported me. And so I think that strengthens your marriage when a partner is very supportive of your goals and helps you achieve the goals. Just like him saying, when I would text him in the morning, I'm not going, I'm not doing that. And just with him saying, well, okay, him supporting that idea. But then also just saying, well, just go to the pool and see how you feel after. Yeah. Go do your pool workout today and then see how you feel after. And always I feel better. And I could get my room in that afternoon and then feel better about the week. So it really did build a stronger marriage. It didn't put a strain on it. And, you know, I'm just speaking for myself. I don't know how it would affect. It depends on the marriage. Yeah. You know, if you have a supportive partner that wants you to achieve goals and it really builds a trust again, that person and a love too. That's good because I know some people that, let's just say women, or it doesn't have to be, there are men and women who will sign up for races of whatever kind, Ironman, marathons, relays, and the spouse is like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe he or she is doing this again. They're abandoning their family. This is so annoying. I have to pick up the pieces. And what you're saying is Doug was like, yeah, it was more supportive than resent. Yes. And like I said, it kind of depends on what kind of marriage you're in. He was the person that picked up the pieces that I dropped. And it was great to see that side of them. To see that side that I hadn't really seen too much before with the support and helping as much as he did. Or maybe I just hadn't recognized. And maybe he is now having this awesome opportunity to shine. That's a pretty apparent opportunity to shine right there. Mm His support. Yeah. And he was really grateful to him for his support through it all. He went to, of course, he went to Italy with me and we just had the best time ever. And he supported me the whole race, took videos, jogged with me every loop that I did. He was there towards the end. I was on my last loop of the marathon and exhausted, exhausted. And he's like, oh, you've only got six miles to go. You can do this. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's going to take me forever. It's going to take me forever. And he's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Just keep running. Just keep running. I just kept that in my mind. And, you know, I tiptoed my way through that last loop. (laughs) Literally tiptoed. I remember having to tiptoe because my thighs are like seizing up. It was awesome. It was a really great thing to experience together. And then it kind of helped him, I think, because then he decided he wanted to run his first marathon. And so then gave me the opportunity to support him. And so I loved going and supporting him in his long runs. I'd drive up, drive him up to the top of a canyon and he'd start running down and I'd pull two miles down and be there with water and salt pills and whatever and help him if he needed it and then let him go again and drive another two miles down. It was so nice to return the favor. What marathon did he run? He did the big, the Red Bull, Big Cottonwood. Oh, that's right. On his 40th birthday with Sam. 
Oh, that's right. Okay, I do remember that. Sam's my other brother. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. So overall, you feel like it was a really positive thing for your marriage and actually turned out to be with your kids too. Sounds like it, they weren't bothered at all. It was you just, I think that's what moms sometimes do. We try to do something for ourselves and we're like, but it will take away from the kids. And the mm-hmm. kids are like, please go mm-hmm. do your thing. We're good. <laughs> kids need their space too, I feel like. It's good for them to have a break from us, just like we need a break from them. <laughs> right. It goes both ways. Yeah, the guilt needs to stop with that. We need to be able to accomplish things in our lives that we want to do, even though it is a juggling act sometimes. But we've just got to stop with that mom guilt of I'm not paying enough attention to my kids. I'm ruining them. Right. It always comes to I am not enough. And then mm-hmm. I am not spending enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough whatever. I don't have enough cooking experience or whatever for my kids. And it's moms, you are enough. You just be the kind of mom that you want to be. And it's a good thing we're all different. We don't all have to be the same. We don't all have to be Iron Man. We all don't have to be Martha Stewart. We can just choose whatever one we want to be and be that, right? Yeah, that's true. Did you consciously think this is going to help me with my depression and anxiety? Or you just did it and then it naturally helped? It naturally helped. In fact, I helped Michael, her other brother. (laughs) I have lots of brothers. Uh, Lots of brothers. I helped him with some presentation that he did when he was in medical school. Because at the time that I was training for these races, I actually didn't need to medicate my anxiety and depression. I was tired enough that I could sleep. And I just think that the chemical release was enough. You know, but that ebbs and flows in life. It's not enough for me now. And that's fine. Right. Because I'm, you know, I'm not doing as much as I did. But during that time when I had so much to focus on as far as that goes, and then the endorphins that comes with that, I swear it just is a constant flow of endorphins. And maybe that's why I just kept on going too, is that I was addicted to that. I was addicted to the absence of anxiety and the depression. And so I just kept on picking more further further because once one thing was over, I was like, how am I going to get these these happy surges? And how am I going to get it if I don't choose a next thing and just keep going? You know, eventually it has to end somewhere. And so it does. And I don't do nearly what I do. So, you know, you go, I once again have to get help in other ways for anxiety and depression. But at the time, no, I didn't. And it was a coping, not only a coping, but a remedy to me. Yeah, it was really helpful with that, and but not feasible for everybody. It's not feasible for me to keep that up. Right. To be like, well, I'm just going to exercise 25 hours a week. Oh my gosh. And then I don't have to take any medication or see therapists. Right. No, it's not feasible. It wasn't the cunning because I had made a commitment. And so I just so happened to not have to resort to medication. So, well, I, Sometimes I tell people, listen, you have anxiety and if there were a hurricane coming through or a tsunami, you would not be worried about what you're worried about right now because you're worried about the tsunami. Then after the tsunami passes, then you'll go back to worrying about what you worry about. And that's just human nature. So kind of like training for this Ironman was your tsunami. You had a focus, you had, you were tired, you're exhausted. You were putting forth mental energy and emotional energy into this thing plus your kids and work and everything else. But then once it was done, the other stuff came back and that's okay because you have other remedies for that. And it's not like you're not exercising. You still are plenty active. It really was like a tsunami of exercise though, of physical activity. Yep. And you compared it perfectly. It was a main focus. And once you don't have that focus anymore, then you set your focus on something else whether it be positive or negative. I was so focused on that, that I depression and anxiety just kind of hid away for a while. One of my favorite memories during this time period, and I can't remember, it was probably in the summer before. So I bet this was like in July, June or July, when we went up to the LaSalle Mountain and you went swimming. With I, Michael. 
with Michael, <laughs> my brother, and then you needed to get in a run. And so we kind of started at our camping spot and ran down the mountain, but all of us girls would take shifts with you. And then we mm-hmm. had the support van and the pictures from that were so <laughs> awesome. And I look back on that. I'm like, that was so fun. So I look at that too. Even you're an inspiration to all of us. And we got to be a part of your training. And overall, some of us were meeting smaller goals, <laughs> you know, running or just getting out there. And that was such a fun time that we did that. It was one of the best training sessions of my whole life. Was that rough? We were dancing. It was the very definition of true support. Mm. And I just won't ever forget it because. Here we are on this family reunion where everybody's just, you know, they want to have fun. And here I am, I'm kind of in the thick of things and I can't let my training go for that long. So here I have Michael, who I don't know when the last time he swam was. And then I had Doug on a paddleboard to watch out for us. Oh, good. I don't think we even knew what we were swimming in. And the water was so cold. It was so cold and he didn't have a wetsuit. And I did. He just decided to do it with me. And he did the whole, we swam for quite a long time. I don't think it was that easy on him, but he did it with me. But then the running, that was, I don't think I've ever had, I mean, that type of support in a training run when you're at a reunion where people would rather be doing a paddleboarding at the lake or playing games or whatever. They don't want to go run. 14 miles down a canyon with their sister-in-law and I I remember mentioning that morning I said I well I've got to go get my training running and all of you just oh we're gonna do it with you and it was just I had somebody with me every minute of that run down the canyon everybody's like a term even if it was just for like a mile yeah and then it gave me something to look forward to because you guys would do like every two or three miles, I think. And sure enough, every two or three miles, there would be a line of you in the road doing a choreographed dance to Michael Jackson or like doing it as I'm coming in, like this choreographed dance that you guys have, do- have been doing while you're waiting. Life is so much easier when you have people like that. The support systems are so important, even if it's just one person. But I'm lucky enough to have all of you. And I remember being so fun afterwards too because we went to the 7-Eleven and got slushies and remember well slurpees yeah and then we ended up finding a dog or something I don't know the whole thing was just so fun and I think we were just so proud of you and we were just so excited to do it with you you guys definitely were you're a big part of it because it would have been really hard to do that on my own that day it was quite an experience so but really, one of the main things I take away from it is just because whenever pe- I, people find out that I've done that or they, you know, ask me about it and say, I would never be able to do that. I'm just like, you can if you want to. And if you put the time and the effort in, you can. And it's just one of those things that when I help people say that, I always am just like, oh, you can, though. That's the thing is because I was never... I wasn't ever the type of person that people would think, oh, she's going to definitely do it. They, no, I was not that person. I just needed something in my life to make me feel alive, to make me find myself again. Yeah, to anybody who's kind of on the fence about can be applied to anything in their lives, really, that they absolutely think that they can't do. Well, I've got news for you. You can't. Um... And so now looking back, do you think you'll train for another one or is that your one and only? I don't think there will ever be a full Ironman in my future. Mm-hmm. Did help me find out a lot of who I was and what I'm capable. Yeah. Yes, <clears throat> because now I I know if I'm going through something tough, I just think, well, I I did that yes. and got through that, so I definitely have the capacity to do this and yes. to get through this. It has changed my way of thinking a lot, and it's changed my opinion of myself a lot. It definitely was a life changer, for sure. So what was your opinion about yourself before compared to now? For, I don't know. I just thought of myself as just there, not really good at anything. Thought I was a pretty good mom. 
I didn't have much to look forward to. I didn't have really anything to be proud of. I was just there. And maybe that's why I was so depressed and had anxieties because I just, you know, I couldn't find myself. I didn't know who I was. I didn't really find myself ever because all I remember in my early life was getting married and then, then all of a sudden having my first child and then my second child and I didn't have much friends and I definitely have a higher opinion of myself than I did now. I think, I think back then I was definitely lost. So I didn't know that before, but now I'm just, Mary can do anything. If you want tickets to somewhere and you are scared of being in the dark alley and getting them from somebody, Mary's your girl. She will figure out a way to get those tickets. For and traveling with you has been really fun because, and I have no fear. It's like you do all the work. You lead us all the places. You figure everything out or hiking or biking. You look at the details and you just, you're like a planner and can figure things out where for someone like me, it's really fun to just be with you and to be the one who enjoy it. But I have all the faith in the world in you. And I bet that's really comforting for you to have that about yourself. I think confident. I miss the word confident. I'm way more confident because it, yeah, it literally changed how I thought about myself. And yeah, and then all of a sudden I can start doing these crazy things. She does crazy things. Well, and that's, I think that's an important concept that confidence doesn't come. We get confidence from putting ourselves out there, for taking risks, for doing things that are hard. And then we're like, oh, I can do this. So now I have confidence to do probably yeah. anything. Yeah. And that totally, I see that in you. And it's really awesome. It's really cool to be around women who have confidence. Another yeah. thing with confidence is that there are, and this isn't necessarily bad, but a lot of people don't like to be by themselves. And I'm hearing with your, with all the trainings that like you really enjoyed that time by yourself and not only just in your thoughts, but then you could be listening to something that you wanted to listen to. But mm -hmm. I think that's also just an important skill to develop is to learn to be okay to not be around other people. Yes. And I still to this day don't mind being by myself. I don't like it. I, of course, love being around people I love too, but I have no problem being by myself. Confidence is kind of contagious. Oh, yeah. I want a piece of that. If she can do it, I should be able to. So it is contagious. So I, that's one of my main things that I hope that I instill in people that talk to me about this, that don't have confidence in doing, not necessarily even a married man, but say anything that's hard. hard. Yeah. And I just, I just want to, them to leave me feeling like, gosh, maybe I can do that. Because I'm sitting there going, you can do it. You can do it. You yeah. have to know this about me is that I am just not that type of person to do one of these years ago. You know, it has to take kind of that leap of faith to do it. You can do it. I promise you. Do you want to give a shout out to your coach too? I just think that's so important in life to have that person that can coach you, listen to you, be there for you guide you, tell you what's doing. He's honest, right? Your guy is, hey, don't do it like that. Oh, yeah. He was very honest. But at the same time, he never made me feel like I was incapable ever. Just always made me feel like a million bucks. I was just progressing so well that I was doing so well. I still have the text read from the day of the marathon or not the marathon, the Ironman that Doug was on my phone texting my parents and my coach and Kelly. Yes. And every once in a while, I pull it up. Like I have a pull up right now. And just I just like to go through it because they're all talking while I'm racing. Like he says, Meredith looks really strong. Only 11 minutes left for this amazing athlete. She's doing so well. I'm so happy for her. And then he says, she did it. Meredith, now you are an Iron Man. He just... I can't say enough about him. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to do it without, for sure. What's so, his name again? Mark Thorum. Mark Thorum. All right. Mark, we all want to strive to be like you if we're ever a coach or just as a person in general, like be there for our people, ride with them, be in it with them. This is such a cool story because like you said, it's just like your regular Joe Schmo and here you are, you ran an Iron Man, and you finished and you had two jellyfish stings and you conquered 
the anxiety and depression and the dark colds and the not wanting to get up and the mom guilt and you conquered all of that. And I just remember you coming. I mean, I wasn't there, but I watched you and you were walking through the thing and just tears are streaming down my face because it was like, oh, all of that. And look what she did. Like, it's just so powerful. And now, right, the finish is like one thing, but now it's just like who you are as a person, who you develop to be. And that's with anything hard that we ever do. We develop to be the person that we are today because of those hard things that we put ourselves through or that in your case, you put yourself through. But in some cases, we're just given it and then we have to get through and we right. develop. So pretty remarkable. I totally agree. Hard things make us who we are. And yeah, but I remember as I got close and the tears just started to flow because I'd put in so much time and work into that. And that was my moment to, that was the reward for all of those dark days and the dark times and the guilt, the worry. And yeah, but we come out after conquering all of it that much stronger. Um, thank you so much for letting me interview you and just re be reminded of maybe sometimes it's good to put ourselves through hard things, not yeah. wait for life to give it to us, but put ourselves into risky, hard things. I love talking about it. I always love talking about it. I love it. Well, thank you again. And I will talk to you soon. Love you so much. Hey, love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me today on You Might Relate. I hope this topic brought understanding and insight. And if you can relate to something in today's episode, subscribe and leave a review. I would love, love, love to hear your thoughts. Also, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at You Might Relate Podcast. And be sure to share this episode with your friends. The more understanding we create, the better we are as humans. You are in charge of your day, so go make it a good one. Catch you next time.